The Queerly Radio Show with Rob Gillett. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Queerly Radio Show podcast with me, Rob Gillett. My guest this week is Justin Myers, a freelance writer and author known for his books The Last Romeo and The Magnificent Sons, as well as his columns on sex, relationships and LGBT issues for GQ magazine. He also writes Impeccable Table Manners, a blog featuring his hilarious reviews of The Guardian's Blind Date column. Justin's new book, The Fake Up, is out now and he joined me to talk all about it. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Um, congratulations on the fake up. It's just so much fun. Why don't you start by telling us what it's all about? Okay, it's about a couple who are very much in love, but their friends think it's a codependent kind of toxic relationship. And you know what it's like if your friends don't like your partner, things kind of go off the rails and that's what happens to Dylan and Flo the two main characters and they break up but they miss each other so much that they do end up getting back together however added complication Dylan is an aspiring actor and Flo is a singer-songwriter and they suddenly find that their success in both their careers relies on them pretending that they haven't actually got back together at all and that they are sworn enemies and hilarity ensues well, I think you say, let the games begin is one of the lines I've heard, which is certainly what happens. Um, this is quite a clumsy question, but I'm fairly sure that you're going to have a, a very smart answer to it. Why mm. this time did you decide to write about a straight couple? Well, that is a good question. Uh, I don't think it's a clumsy question. It's really, it serves the story that I wanted to tell and the two main characters are straight and I really did deliberate over this because obviously my first two books, The Last Romeo and The Magnificent Sons, had a gay and a bi main character at their heart, respectively. So it was a bit of a, oh, you know, should I be writing about straight people? It was kind of a, one of my thoughts, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't even know what they do, really. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, I've heard stuff. But, um, it served the story better. And what I will say is that it does have quite a prominent uh, gay storyline in it. And really, even though it does have uh, main characters who are straight at the centre of it, they are both restricted by people's prejudices of them. They are both constrained by expectations and they both feel that they have to pretend to be someone else. So what it actually is, is an allegory for being in the closet. I was going to ask you that because I sort of read that into it, but I didn't want to just make that up and layer it on if it wasn't the case. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear that and interested to hear that as well. And it really does make a lot of sense if you read the book. Yeah, I mean, you know... You, it's just an interesting way of telling it, I suppose, uh, through straight characters. And I suppose what it's also about is kind of how we do generally as a society centre the more trifling problems of the already quite privileged majority over the more urgent and important problems that are happening to, to other people whether it's LGBTQ plus people or black people or people living with a, a disability or a, some kind of condition, you know, the priority is always on whatever's happening with straight people. That's true, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, <laughs> one of the dynamics that I really like in the book, and you you've kind of covered it when you set it up, but is the idea that uh, when when a couple break up, those around them quite quickly suddenly are very honest about how they feel about someone's ex. <laughs> now, of course, in this situation, they they haven't really broken up. So they're hearing all of this stuff whilst also being with the person. Um, but g- generally, when this happens in real life, you kind of speak your mind and then two weeks later, they're back together and you end up in that awkward scenario. Is that something you'd considered uh, when writing this? Yeah, because isn't it interesting how the truth suddenly comes out and all this these issues that you never even realised were there. Suddenly, your friends have all these you know, latent hatred of your ex within them, which I suppose in partly they do to make you feel better. They might not even mean it in the end, but yeah, it was, it was on my mind that that's quite a common thing, isn't it? Is that your friends are supportive of you, whichever way you need it. So if you really need them to slate the ex, then they're there. Unfortunately, the twist here is that they're still very much together and the, the end goal is to reveal that they are back together, having won over their friends. However, their friends aren't being won over very easily (laughs) and they're totally convinced that breaking up was the right thing for both of them to do. Yeah, Estelle is not an easy um, battle to win, is she? (laughs) So no, that's Flo's best friend who was great fun to write, as I'm sure you can imagine, because she's like a super mean girl. A mean girl with with a bit of substance to her, but yeah. She was great fun to write. Um, another part of the book which I really enjoyed is is that it's partly set in the world of the TV soap opera, or is it continuing drama is what I'm supposed to say, is that right? Continuing drama, yeah. as Dylan is, is often told yeah. to say instead of soap. Yeah. <laughs> so City Royal, uh, it sort of becomes this almost like microcosm of showbiz within, within the story. Um, mm. I sense from the way that it's written and those characters that you bring in from that world that you have quite an affection for it. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, um, I worked in TV for a couple of years. I mean, years ago, back in the noughties. And was really fascinated by how it's made and the things that people behind the scenes have to do to keep everything together and to keep egos in check and to stop people walking off set and getting to what, you know, make them get to work on time. I mean, I could have honestly just written an entire book about that, right? You know, but it's, um, I do find it really interesting. And I, I, I do like that world, even though it's quite seen maybe as quite superficial um and cutthroat and it is both of those things i do like you say have an affection for it um just sort of brings me on quite naturally obviously we lost june brown this week um who played dot mm. cotton in eastenders um and in the soap world you seem to either be a kind of flash in the pan and gone and forgotten about very quickly or you become a character like that or like ken barlow who who they've mm. lived you know almost the majority of their life as this second person and I'm always fascinated by that because I think it must be hard to know at some points when you're being the character and when you're being yourself I think the lines blur don't they I remember hearing about Wendy Richard who played Pauline in EastEnders getting quite protective over Pauline's fruit bowl (laughs) and where it was positioned and I think it was similar as well with Deirdre in Coronation Street she was very protective I think once a storyline called for her living room to be smashed up. And she was really distressed because obviously she spent, well, she's not no longer with us, but she'd spent 
you know, five days a week for years and years, 30 years or whatever, in that living room, on that set, she really did think of it as her own. And I think that's what happens when you're in a show like that for so long is you don't necessarily become the character, but they become your, like a sibling to you or someone that you care about so deeply that you want to protect their, their legacy and everything around them. It really is interesting. And, but yeah, like you say, you're either that or you're a flash in the pan, which is what Dylan dreads in the, in the fake up is being a one year and out, which is, you know, you honor your initial contract and then you're booted off because you're not gelling with the public. That must be even worse. I think than maybe getting typecast and staying in a soap for years is just not connecting and being given your cards after one year, because you'll probably never get the chance again. I guess Dylan and Flo kind of share that same vulnerability and and worry, don't they? Both their careers kind of put them in a position where they worry it could end at any moment. Yeah, and this is what drives them to keep going with the the fake-up itself, is that the thing about fame is that it, it feels... I imagine, I mean, I'm not famous and I don't ever want to be, but I imagine that fame feels just so fragile and temporary and that you're never quite secure. And that is perhaps... The main reason why a lot of stars and celebrities are quite touchy and brittle because they are worried about someone usurping them or worried about disgracing themselves. You know, you can never really be yourself, I think, because once the public sees you for who you really are, then maybe you lose some of that star quality that got you where you are. Hello, me again. Just interrupting the interview quickly uh, to remind you that the Queerly Radio Show is available in full with music and all the other bits and pieces on Spotify. Uh, Just search for Queerly there, follow the Queerly Radio podcast channel and you'll get episodes as soon as they become available right there in your Spotify app. All right, let's carry on with my chat with Justin Myers. Now, this is a quick question I wanted to throw in. There is a showbiz journalist in the book, affectionately known as Mick Dick. Is he based on anyone we might know? I'm afraid my legal team, (laughs) who I've just invented, have advised me not to answer that question. Okay. That kind of confirms what I thought, and I think anyone who reads the book draw your own conclusions. Will be able whoever, to draw that conclusion. Well, whoever he he inspires you to think of, then go with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, complete fictional character, not based on anyone. But all I can say is, nice job. Um, Any resemblance to persons <laughs> living or dead is purely coincidental. It says that right at the front of the book. <laughs> Um, right now you uh, you touch on the conversation around straight actors being cast in queer roles in the book mm. we won't go into the detail of that because it's sort of a bit of a a bit of a spoiler but is that something that you feel quite strongly about and you wanted to weave in um well it is something I've spoken about uh, written about before is the uh, the casting of straight people to play gay roles and it's something that um became a much hotter topic quite a while after the fake up was finished actually when uh, it's a sin was on uh, in early 2021 because obviously russell t davies uh, wrote that and he is gay and he cast all the roles which are um, you know mainly gay lgbtq roles with lgbtq actors and so i i, I it was quite a hot topic for a while and i think it's something that comes up every now and again and whether I feel strongly about it, I don't know, but I do like investigating it. I am fascinated by it. I do like, you know, getting into it because it's 
not really as simple as, oh, all gay people should be played by gay actors. And it's never as simple as, oh, well, does that mean then that gay people shouldn't play straight roles? You know, it's things like that which derail the conversation, which is quite nuanced um, and can be an actual and actually a calm and kind conversation if you're willing to stop and have it. Uh, things like that really annoy me because it's about much more than just, you know, making sure that every gay actor gets to play a gay role. Well, I think you actually deal with it extremely well in the book through Max, who is Dylan's best friend and is gay in the book. Um, yeah. And so that I, I really liked what he says in relation to that topic. Um, and I thought, I thought actually it sort of, it felt like you had reached quite a good conclusion on it. So if anyone wants that, they should definitely, <laughs> definitely read the book to find out what that is. Um, away from your novels and your writing, uh, you are still bringing us impeccable table manners, your riff on the Guardian's blind dates column. Um, what have been some recent standout moments from that? And how are, I'm interested in how the couples are adjusting to real life dating again, because we had that weird period where they were sort of doing like zoom dates or whatever um have people forgotten how to date yeah so for a while it was over zoom and they would sit eating a takeaway while looking at each other over a screen which i can't i mean i can think of a few things that are worse but not many but now they're all back in the wild no i think people are finding their feet again i, I generally especially with the guardian blind date i suppose Things like, you know, sharing food and do you kiss? It's all all extra things to think about now that we are more germ aware, I suppose, more than ever. We are aware of what's in the air. But it seems to be almost business as usual. Um, what has changed, I think, are readers' expectations of the blind date column, maybe, and my analysis of it and... I, I definitely have noticed a shift toward people, first of all, wanting more romantic conclusions. So, you know, occasionally the blind date is an absolute car crash and those would always be really successful ones uh, for me to review. But I've noticed that people are really, they're looking for good news. Do you know what I mean? They're looking for people yeah. to connect. Yeah. They're looking for 10 out of 10s, 10s across the board, you might say. And for, you know, we are definitely going to see each other again. You know, more higher expectations, which is quite a lot of pressure for the poor people going on these dates because they're literal strangers and they're matched by someone who's never met them before. So I'm not sure how realistic these expectations are. Or what people want is for me to absolutely skewer anyone who even makes the smallest mistake. There was one a couple of weeks ago. I've actually been on a slight hiatus while I'm writing my next book, but I am, I, it is coming back um, very soon. But I've done a couple uh, just to kind of fill the gap. And there was one guy who he took a date to some rooftop bar up the Duck and Waffle, which is up one of the towers in the city, I think. And... Um, they kissed, got on very well. And he said he had a fantastic date. But I think he gave her a six or a seven out of ten. Ooh. And, oh, you said, even you said, ooh. And said he would maybe meet his friends. He said a fantastic time to meet his friends. And the internet, I mean, I had, to, I had to write, you know, if you've come here for me to be horrible about this man, then I think you've come to the wrong place. The internet, they wanted this man dragged. <laughs> 
to hell and back. I mean, his score his score was low, but he it depends on what someone is scoring. You know what their criteria is. If it's on romantic potential, and he doesn't feel he wants to see her again as a girlfriend, then you know six. I, mean, I would even I would have said seven, but you know six. It's probably fair enough. I, I think what needs to happen with the blind date is that um, we need to get some more rainbow dates on there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It has been, there were, um, there were two women on it a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately I wasn't around to review that one. But there was a period um, around the peak of when I was reviewing it when almost every week it was a, a, an LGBTQ couple of some description, you know, of some mixture. Um, and uh, eventually I, I got emails from really annoyed readers saying it was my fault and that I, uh, because people were trying to get into my blog. What? And that's why so many gay people were applying for it. Yeah, and then moaning about, does does this mean that the blind date column overrepresents the uh, gay population in the UK? And I'm kind of like, you know, it's not it's not a public service broadcaster. <laughs> it has no responsibility to have fewer or more gay people, depending on what you think. It's who applies. But definitely 2022, to close things out, we definitely need more LGBTQ couples in there. Yeah. Because they're just gen- generally more interesting. More Apologies. Fun. More fun. Yeah. It's yeah. just a bit more fun, a bit more random, and, so, and have less to lose, it seems, actually. Um, I often feel that they are a bit more relaxed about things because maybe it's because we're more used to heartbreak and unrequited crushes, perhaps. I'm not sure, but they just seem to generally take things in their stride. Well, we're allowed to say they're more fun because it's very balanced because you've also written a book about a fun straight couple, so... I mean, what more do they want? I've let the straights into my (laughs) literary career. This is as much balance as you're going to get here. Uh, You've also recently been involved in the hit BBC show This Is Going To Hurt, based on Adam Kay's book. Um, How was that? Well, it was amazing, uh, obviously, because uh, Adam is an absolute genius. And I was involved just very, very early on, um, kind of uh, looking at Adam's really early drafts of it. And it was uh, fascinating. He's such a talent. And what's great about it, actually, is seeing a gay character so prominent in such a huge show where the story is not... I mean. Not, it's not just about them being gay, although that be, and yet his gayness is an important part of it. Do you know what I mean? And seeing Ben Wishaw bring Adam's character to life, I mean, he was really good, isn't he? He's, He's great. ridiculously He's good. He's absolutely great. It's obscene um, how good he is. There's some very, very uh, difficult moments in that show, but also some really funny stuff. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, definitely one to check out if you haven't seen it. I think it's still on iPlayer. Now, Justin, we last spoke maybe three or four years ago uh, on a podcast I did called Show This Thread, which was all about Twitter and speaking Mm. to some of its most influential users, uh, which included you. Um, When (laughs) you came on there, you shocked me by saying this. I don't like tweets either. Oh, I have never liked a tweet. Why is that? Um, I don't like it, funnily enough, I don't (laughs) like it as a function. I don't like the like function at all. I don't like that it can be interpreted in so many ways. I don't like 
that it can be used negatively. I think if you've got, if you, you know, if you want to shade somebody, then reply and, you know, do it in your reply. Not the, you know, the shady likes I don't like. You've never liked a tweet. Is, I'm desperate to know if that is still the case. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. I don't know how you've held up. Do you know? And Not ever on purpose, s- anyway. Only if my hands are slipped. <laughs> ever since we've had that conversation, I'm, I don't engage with you because I don't like your tweets because I know what you said about it. So I see you <laughs> post something and I think, well, I can't like that because that will really wind him up. Um, <laughs> Oh, I mean, I don't care whether people always like my, my tweets head. or not. No, well, but I, no, I've never liked to tweet. I'm sorry, but nothing's really struck me so far in the uh, twelve years or so I've been on Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm just, I just, I just needed to know. I needed the answer uh, to that question for my own <laughs> peace of mind. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start liking your tweets more routinely now. I think well, that's and, very kind and of stop you. But agonising I'm, over it quite soon. I'm afraid I, I won't reciprocate. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I keep working on it. I mean, if you ever did like a tweet, I think I would crack open the champagne straight away. Oh, wow. Uh, Maybe it's worth doing then. (laughs) Uh, Right, nearly time to go. Uh, But as the Queerly Radio Show is all about new pop culture, uh, I'm interested to know what are some of the things you're enjoying at the minute? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Okay, so I'm very lucky in that I get sent uh, books a while before they come out. But what I'm reading at the moment is... A great book by a gay author actually it's a it's a non-fiction book it's kind of a memoir it's by raven smith who's uh what i would say is a, a prominent instagrammer and he's a columnist at vogue and he's very clever and very funny and it's called raven smith's men and it's about men ah i was sent this yesterday i just read the blurb and it does sound uh fascinating it Actually. is good. Uh, and I'm reading that. And I'm also reading um, something called Isaac and the Egg by Bobby Palmer, which is not out until the summer. And watching, I am currently uh, trying not to binge Hacks. Oh, yes. Do you I know about this hacks. show? Yeah. Okay, I'm not very far in because I'm, I don't actually like binging shows. I like to take my time and... Um, I don't want to feel that disappointment when they're over. Uh, so I am, I am taking it slowly. <laughs> Hacks is, is one of the fav- my favourite shows this year. It's very so good. Far. I really like it, really like and it, it. And it has, a, it has a queer angle, obviously, because one of the main characters is bisexual. Yes. Um, so that's, is that, that's on Amazon Prime now, isn't it? I it's think on Amazon I Prime. I about that last week. Yes, uh, it is. What about music? What do you like to listen to? Oh, music. Okay. Um, well, I'm an old man. So I've kind of, I'm hitting that period now where I am almost entirely stopping listening to new music. But what I do like at the moment is Harry Styles' new single. Yeah. As it was. It's good, isn't it? Um, I found out today that the video for that song, part of it is filmed in the old um, penguin enclosure at London Zoo. It looks like a very fancy swimming pool, but actually it's... Oh, is that what that the, is? Yeah, it's apparently wonder. it's a listed a listed building, so it's still there. They haven't used it for years. And they gave it oh. a nice lick of paint and filmed a Harry Styles video there. It's a cute video. Yeah. I really liked Harry's last album and uh, I'm quite excited for him as an artist, I think. I'm really pleased that he's doing well. He seems like a good egg. Yeah, I think so too. I'm looking forward to this film he's doing, My Policeman, based on the book. 
Um, yeah, I saw that GQ, who I uh, do write for, disclaimer, but um, I saw that GQ had done an early uh, review of it, an early look of it, and apparently it's it's quite filthy. Oh, yeah, the book is. Yeah, the book's a bit, yeah. yeah. I haven't well, read the book. Okay. I, I am looking forward to that. Um, all right, uh, time for us to go. Uh, the fake up is out now. What are the next couple of weeks looking like for you? Are you out and about all over the place promoting it, or are you going to... Uh, have some downtime and hide i'm um busy i'm trying to finish my the first draft of my next book my fourth book um but then i've got some events planned in may i'm doing um waterstones in leeds on the 12th of may and i'm doing brighton i think on the 23rd of may uh with laura Kay. i'm in brighton with who wrote the split uh, and I'm with Okin Zelu in, in Leeds, who wrote Here Again Now, which is, just came out a few weeks ago and is a really good book, actually. A really that is a great about. book. That is yes. a great book. And Laura Kay is going to be on the show in a few weeks as well. So that's all tied up very nicely. Oh, cool. Well, she's great, yes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on, Justin. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, the Fake Up is just, like I said, so much fun. Uh, and I really hope it is a massive, massive success for you because it really deserves to be. Thank you so much. The Queerly Radio Show with Rob Gillett. Lovely chatting to Justin Myers there. Uh, His new book, The Fake Up, is out now. Uh, You can also read more of his writing on his website, theguyliner.com. Next week on the show, I'm joined by Booker Prize winning author of Shuggy Bane, Douglas Stewart is here talking all about his brilliant new book, Young Mungo. Uh, Don't miss it. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And remember, the Queerly Radio Show with music and all is available in full on Spotify. Uh, I'll see you next week.